Welcome to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. What is good? Welcome to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. My name is Nick Ingvall. I am with my guys, Todd and Rowett, to talk about the Spanish Grand Prix and a lot of suffering for some of us, some of us in the uh, in the sneaker history slash Exhaust Notes Fantasy Formula One League because... We we had some we had some heavy commitments to to Charles Leclerc for this race, but how are you guys doing? <laughs> uh, broken hearted because I think to your point, Nick Charles Leclerc messed us up all of us, and I'm really if now is the time to do it, I'm going to do it. Young Julie, I know you're hopefully done with the move. You've got a new job in your life. The cat's adorable. We need you to put that juju back on Max. So if it's printing out like a couple of eight by tens, putting them in the freezer because I believe that's like an Italian custom. To put somebody on ice, I'm going to go ahead and uh, need you to do that because it's looking like Red Bull's about to run away with this. It sure does. Maybe Julie was just teasing Max and was like, you know what? I'm going to he- put a hex on his DRS for about, I don't know, a third of the race. <laughs> whatever yeah. we, whatever it is, we need, uh, we need a battle at the front because it looks like Red Bull's, even with the technical difficulties they really are the the powerhouse now they have taken the leap yeah definitely all right so let's run through the the the, the final Placement. results we got a uh, max verstappen red bull sergio perez red bull george russell mercedes third carlos Sainz ferrari in fourth lewis hamilton in fifth valtteri botas in sixth Esteban Ocon in seventh, Lando Norris in eighth, Fernando Alonso in ninth, Yuki Sonoda in tenth, the last in the points, Sebastian Vettel of Aston Martin in eleventh, Danny Rick and McLaren at twelve, Pierre Gasly at Alfatori in thirteenth, Mick Schumacher looked like he was going to get points this week early on, but the Haas just didn't didn't hold up. Fourteenth, Lance Stroll in fifteenth, Nicholas Latifi in sixteenth, Kevin Magnussen in seventeenth. Alex Albon in 18th, and Zhou Guanyu and Charles Leclerc both did not finish the race. So, I, I, I think, one, I was really, really close. And for a few moments at the end of the race, I thought Lewis might end up hitting that third, po- third place podium finish that I predicted last week. It was way closer than I think you expected, Todd. <laughs> yeah, I really was, man. I that car. I mean, I'm sure we'll get into it, but holy hell, was that a drive? But like overall, are Mercedes back? Can we say they're back? Because I think we're back. I think they're Feels back. Feels like it, right? That car was a rocket ship. Yeah. Today, I mean, so at the beginning of the race, if you didn't watch the whole thing. Lewis was on the Lewis, <clears throat> excuse me. Lewis and who uh, who he, he hit Kevin Magnuson right oh, off the bat. Yeah, K Mag. Yeah, so I they, mean, like they they a little mix up, right? Lewis is on the radio. I think we should just retire the car. Uh, he had a flat. He had to go in like second lap, basically replace tires, and literally on the radio saying that he's thinking they should retire the car. The team responds and says, well, we from from what we're looking at on the data side, we think we can get an eighth place finish out of this. Granted, this is one or two laps into the race. One or two laps completed. So it was uh, 
one, it was it was the the Lewis I love that is absolutely completely playing with people's emotions through the radio uh, communications. But to, to Todd's point, that car was I think I think he did get fastest lap right. He did. He yeah. he had it for a long time. I don't know if he actually ended up with it. So I'm but he got it right now. Sergio Perez actually got it. Oh, because he pitted super late for the softs. That's right. Yep. No, I mean, I was going to ask you both in the moments of Lewis Hamilton sandbaggery. Is this like a top five sandbag? Is this a top 10? Like, how are we feeling about this? Because lo and behold, he just continues to be a professional race car driver. And that gets him in the top five almost every week. And I think it was Travis in the discord. who was like, hey, guys, he's doing it again. He's like doing the silent assassin Lewis Hamilton thing again, which is crazy. That man has won eight championships. He, he, there's nothing he can do on a track that is considered silent unless his car stalls. And even then, I think I did. I got the technical jargon wrong. So please, car professors, walk me through this. Now, I, for me, when I heard that, it didn't come across as like typical whiny Lewis. Like, woe is me. I was like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Like they already, he's already on his third power unit. He was 50 seconds behind 19th place. 50. At that point. So that's like two minutes behind the lead. And I know that that it appears that, you know, they fixed their porpoising issue and they finally got like a baseline set up for the car. But I was like, come on, guys. Like, you're not going to make up two minutes, even if it is lap two. Like, they're not going to just slow down for you. Like, it came across as like, Oh, that actually kind of makes sense. And yeah. then when the and then yeah. when Bono came over the radio and was like, ah, actually, like with our pace, we could probably hit eighth place. I was like, okay, okay, well. So, do you think that initial hesitancy by Lewis is him thinking they're probably worse off than what they actually are? Because for all intents and purposes, say what you will, they've struggled, but they're still, I think, top three or top four, right? And is that just his cloudy disposition because of the fact that he's not living up to the gold standard that he's so consistently set? Because, yeah, P8, there are drivers on the grid right now that would kill for a P8. Hi, Mick Schumacher. How are you doing today? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Especially after the last couple races. Poor Mick. Damn oh, it, Mick. so close. It's yeah, coming, I mean, Mick. Keep it up. It's coming. It's coming. I have faith. I mean, <laughs> go ahead. No, Russell went what? Three, two years before he got a podium, and the yeah. first podium he got was be- just because of the, that farce in Spa last year. <laughs> I think. I think to your question, Roy, the I I felt like it felt like genuine disappointment from Lewis, and you know I, I would say over the radio, take anything any of these guys say with a grain of salt. I mean, Max was basically without saying it, threatening to kill half of the team when he got back to the pits when things went awry with his DRS so you know like these guys these guys need to have like you gotta anything you hear on the radio just know that there is like a flip of a coin of how much truth there is to it in my opinion but with Lewis it, it felt it felt like he was pretty disappointed and I think this is interesting because I think I brought this up in last episode or maybe a couple episodes back the thought process for these drivers now when there's budgets involved and when there's all these other things that layer on and, and, you know, to me, 
that has to be a part of the way they think, right? They can't just think about the drive, right? They, they have to think about everything that surrounds the championship, right? So having this, you know, cap, this budget limit and whatever that's going to look like as the season plays out, l- the smartest drivers, Lewis probably being, you know, I would say Lewis is probably the smartest driver on the grid, you know, like maybe I would put Vettel up there. But, like, they have to have a lot of championship years. They have to have a lot of experience, a lot of losing, and a lot of winning in order to kind of, for me to say that they would be at the top of that list. Of, and all these guys are crazy intelligent. But, like, they have to be – you you know what I mean? You have to have that, like – it's like sports intelligence, awareness. right? Yeah. And I think with Lewis, he's always thinking about this – you know, he's a driver, but he's probably thinking just as much as an engineer – as a team principal, as a, you know, like it's a part of what makes him great. And to have him thinking about that kind of, I think makes me think like all these guys have to be thinking about this as they go, because eventually they might run into issues or limits or whatever that looks like where, you know, I don't know, like, are they penalized? How are they penalized for going over budget? All those things. And whether or not like that's really ever going to happen. And I, you know, I don't think, I don't think if, Unless a team goes wildly crazy, I don't think there's going to be any, like, there'll be a bunch of bickering amongst the teams, but I don't think the FIA would be like, oh, shut them down. They've used too many cars, right? Like, it's like, just give us some more money and you can keep racing. But that said, I think that that weighs heavily on the best drivers because they think about all these things. And I think that's what it sounded like with Lewis, which also I would say, and this will be, I'll get into this later in the episode. I think this race, the fact that Lewis felt so down at the beginning and came back so hard to, you know, a, a fifth place finish, which could have easily been a fourth, could have easily been a third. Like he was really close to having all of that. Um, obviously, the Red Bulls are way out front, but I think that I think that's probably like enough fire for Lewis to be like very competitive moving forward. Yeah, I think you really summed it up perfectly there, um, Nick. And and what you said, Rohit, was perfect. It was the past history of the five races really like fed into that dejection that we, he was feeling. Like, oh, we've, we've been kind of dog shit. We might be on the fringe of like being on the pace again, but like I'm now two minutes behind the leader. You know, let's just throw throw in the towel, save the engine. And and what will live to fight another day, essentially. And everything else Nick just said way better than I could. No, no, but I mean, the other thing I will say this is we compare and contrast that to the last couple of years because it almost felt like an annual tradition where Lewis Hamilton would have one race a year where he's at like 20th and then he would win all the way from the back. So that's the biggest jarring thing to me is like we're so used and we're so conditioned to see this guy pull the miraculous and make it look normal that when he has these moments of doubt, and I think it's fair to call it a moment of doubt, we're all kind of perplexed by it because, buddy, you are fantastic. You do what we all aspire to do if we were ever in that position. So interesting case. Kudos to them for continuing to be probably the most professional and underrated car that is on the grid this year. But yeah, I think between that and the other thing I kind of wanted to touch base with you guys on was, did Max get a glimpse of his future because of the way George Russell kind of held him at bay for a couple of laps? Because I thought that was probably the most interesting subplot coming out of this race. 
One more thing I wanted to mention yes, on Lewis's dejection. The one thing I didn't think about earlier or when it happened, like one safety car, which is decently common in Spain, and he's like right back on the pack and can fight through the field. Like an early safety car probably would have given him a chance to fight for the win with the oh, pace yeah. that he had today. Oh, so yeah. like even though he doesn't have all the information um, at, at the time and it's just like, oh, fuck, like let's just – wrap it up for 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 today like he needs to rely on his team in that moment to like you know we're we still have the pace we can still make things happen and one safety car which is at could happen at any moment and i'm really surprised it didn't with the two spins i'm sure we'll talk about um it it could have been anybody's race And I think, but, too, like the other thing to consider about that, that's a great point. The other thing to consider about that, and, and this I could, we could kind of get into like the Max and, and you know, Red Bull conversation. Um, you know, these guys motivate their engineers and their, their team through those communications, right? Like that is that is a part of it. The psychological, you know, I mean, the the cussing and yelling and, you know, name calling aside. There is some there is some level of like genuine like the genuineness of that frustration is gonna make the team say, fuck, we gotta do better, right? And and you know, every every driver has a different approach to, to the way they say that, to the way they do that. You know, you heard you heard, you know, with Checo the disappointment at the end, right? With having to make the switch, you know, for for Max, which, you know, we'll get into, but Max takes the exact opposite of this, right? And I think that, you know, to some extent, that's why you see some drivers are absolutely loved up and down the grid by every team, regardless of if they're kicking your ass or not. And other drivers are just disliked because, like, those kind of things, you know, even if it's the heat of the moment, people can only handle the heat of the moment so many times before they're like, yeah, fuck this guy, in my opinion. Absolutely. I mean, I worry Max Verstappen is the man that called Wolf, in a sense, because he keeps insulting these guys. But the way I look at it, it's like a quarterback in American football. It's like a point guard in the NBA or basketball, right? You have to have a understanding of who your personnel are, what are their areas of strength, and what are areas that they can improve upon. And apparently, if you ask Max what the area of improvement his team could have, I would just say it's breathing, because he compared them to not very... <laughs> yes eligible life-breathing organism so kudos to you max because i keep hoping that your rudeness is your comeuppance but it won't happen but interesting to say i think back to your original question though rohit i think he did get a little bit of a glimpse of his future and as long as merc has the car george russell definitely has the minerals as the british love to say um that to be fighting him he's got the intelligence he's got the racecraft he's got the pace um i think it was funny because obviously the merc doesn't have the pace of the red bull yet but without that drs russell was putting his car in beautiful defensive positions for lap after lap while that drs drama was going on and max max was threatening to murder everybody's family um it, it was amazing to see, like, I don't want to, like, jump the gun for the theme of this podcast, but holy hell, did we just have the best race of the, of the season, at least to me, so far, 
in Spain, the worst track on the calendar. Like, at least, you know, we know no passing's going to happen in Monaco because it's Monaco. But, like, Spain is, like, a real wide open racetrack. And the one, like, passing opportunity that was at Spain was, like, the long straight going into turn 10 at, like, Chicane, which they reprofiled to make it faster, like, more medium speed to take away the passing opportunity. And we got passing all over the place. Sorry, I know I'm jumping ahead. But, yes, Max got a glimpse of his future fighting George Russell for the 2028 championship today. So, related, last week we talked about, uh, or last episode we talked about the challenges of the, uh, I guess it was two episodes ago, the challenges of Formula One coverage. And this week there was a moment, I think it was when, I don't even remember who it was that passed Somebody on the on the Sky Sports or the international broadcast for us basically said, uh, "We wish you, we wish you could have shown you that pass as it happened." And I was thinking, that's exactly what like their theme sh- there that should be their slogan for the F one F one on you know ESPN. Right. Yeah. We wish you could have showed you that <laughs> <laughs> instead of you. It's only live once. We'll show you the replay later. Yeah. <laughs> No, I think I know exactly what you're talking about because it was... It was they one were, of the Alpha Tories, right? No, no, no. It was Signs just like trundling along in no man's land when he was, he was like, I don't know, 10 seconds behind the car in front of him and 12 seconds ahead of the car behind him. And it was Botas passing... Or Russell passing Botas, I think, for P3 at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like they that. didn't show that but because they were just showing Signs in no man's land. That being said, since we're talking about this... We did have some faults. We're always going to. I, I'm giving a wide berth because I hate them so much, but I'm trying to be positive about this. It was a lot better it compared was. to like Miami and and oh, yeah, uh, it was. and like previous races, even just this year. If we're taking that as the sample size, it was way better. Like they didn't have as many like let's cut to the crowd shots or let's look at David Beckham in the McLaren garage on opiates like. It was a lot better. Now, is that because it's Spain and we've raced here for God knows how long consistently and they, they just don't do that kind of stuff? Because I feel like that's an interesting conversation, right? Like part of the reason why like I love some of these new tracks and you despise them is because it's such a spectacle. But as a broadcaster, as the person who's producing that, you're trying to appeal to those people that come in because of the spectacle, right? So you've got to show the fans, you've got to show the whatever, you know, you know what I mean? Like maybe that's where like they're trying to do too much outside of the actual racing. It, it could be like, although, although you just called yourself the fans that are there for the spectacle. So you're like DJ Khaled. I, I realized and... that after the fact. <laughs> I've, I've often said, I've often We're said the that. We're the best. We the best, another one. I've often said that Nick Engvall is the white DJ Khaled, so I stand by that statement. <laughs> well, I, I mean, never... it, it, it's interesting because, like, I think people that that haven't watched for a long time probably have never never even think about these things, right? It's almost like, it's almost like when you see those, uh, you know, if you're an NBA fan if you and you've watched the NBA or if you watch, you know, through NBA TV or, or other formats – where you can take that like above the backboard cam angle 
towards the other end. And it's like, you only see that for like a split second in normal broadcast because they know that it's not really an appealing view. But like, it's cool if you're like a diehard, right? Sometimes you want to see the way the play, you know, kind of puts itself together, right? Absolutely. I mean, my favorite example of those from an NBA perspective, there used to be a camera that was right on the hardwood floor. So it would just literally look like shoes and like the traction down to the bottom. So, I mean, I totally get where you're coming from, Nick. But correct me if I'm wrong, Todd, like you said, they had made a modification. So in a way, this is probably the best thing for us because we've taken an existing track that we've known about. We've made some modifications to showcase that, hey, we're not exactly tied to this track as it once was, because at the end of the day, as much as we want to be a business, we want to be an entertaining business. And I think Spain has been probably one of the more entertaining races, to your point. I hope that, I don't know, maybe I'm getting a sneaking suspicion. Maybe it's the cough medicine in me. I have a feeling Monaco is going to throw something good our way. And you can clip this, and then when it turns into that funeral slash parade <laughs> procession, we always know, you can play this back. In fact, I will use this opportunity to say none of you wrote us a review. So the phrase for next week is, this is a procession. So thank you in advance. <laughs> I mean, we say processional every podcast. Actually, I think we should just clip. That's going to be like the slogan for the podcast. Monaco, something good is going to come this way. Um, But to play devil's advocate and kind of go to Rose Rose point there, or or going into like what Nick said also, if they were going to have a, a TV direction where they would show a bunch of cutaways to fans and like some weird Spanish dude hanging out in the grass... Or people in the pit sitting there. What like cut to the pit wall? Whatever you want to call it. Paul Gasol. This is yes, Paul Gasol. Yeah, sure. Where was um, he? There's no greater Spanish ambassador for the last century than Paul Gasol. I digress. Sorry, that was but, my one. <laughs> no, but like this is the race to do it, right? Because historically, the Spanish Grand Prix is boring as hell. Do it for these races, right? If you're trying to get people into the spectacle of the thing, do it for these kind of races. But like, we get really good TV direction at a track that took the one passing opportunity that we think of, at least on paper, and kind of took it away. And then we had passes in turns that shouldn't have passes. It was it was nuts. So like, I don't I don't know what the answer is. It was a lot better this week, but it it like just focus on the action. Stop cutting to replays. They did it right after the start, after the crash when K-Mag and Hamilton crashed. Instead of focusing on the lead of the race, they're just like, nope, replay. Right away. It's it's also like this format that you can literally see them kind of talk themselves into. It's like, okay, start of the race. We focus on the first five racers. And then inevitably, because there always seems to be a crash, that's when we'll shift focus. And then we'll show five different replays of the crash that inevitably happens. And then by the time that crash replay orgy is done, we go back to the front where there's a celibacy of positioning. So there you go. <laughs> okay. But, so Todd, I think, I think the challenge is it's like hype, right? It's like the sneaker thing. It's like fitted. It's all this stuff that like things get so hyped up that people are looking for that like hit of excitement, right? It's almost like, I don't know if you guys have seen Up, the cartoon animated movie. And the dog sad. like is like, squirrel! And like immediately distracted. So I feel like the producers are like, oh my god, somebody screaming his face off in the crowd at the Miami Grand Prix. And he doesn't have a shirt on. Plus there's, you know, like... Crypto! <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whatever it is that, that like 
is like on their list of hot items for the week that they they are supposed to like cut to in between. They just immediately knee jerk reaction and the and the you know the the producer is like you know okay we got to show this regardless of what's happening on the track. That's why that's I, I feel like that's the squirrel moment for producers of Formula One right now. It's like the people right they have to show and and like they're trying to sell Miami as a thing for the future right like which you know. I've come to actually appreciate the race a little bit more and as as we've moved away from it. But also like you're selling fake yachts in a wooden harbor. Like it it's it's a tough sell. And unless Gunter Steiner is captaining one of those fake yachts, I don't want any part of it. <laughs> None of those exactly. for the Steiner ship. That little fake lagoon could not contain the Steiner ship. <laughs> Since we're talking about Miami real quick, I saw a stat or I saw a video. Um I found this guy on YouTube who's brilliant. He's like this very angry and disillusioned British kid. His his name on YouTube is Rocket Rocket Powered Mohawk, and he just talks. He just like trolls every race, and it's amazing. So I highly suggest checking him out. But he talked about the Miami GP. Um, I watched one of his videos. You know how much a paddock pass was to the Miami GP? Fifteen k. Thirty two thousand dollars. The face value of those tickets, I think, is like nineteen hundred bucks, and somehow they sold out before they went on sale. Todd, so, one bitcoin is one bitcoin. It doesn't really matter what the worth it, the value is. Back, my point being is backdooring happens in Formula One, so us sneakerheads can stop. <laughs> yeah, Were they all wearing those frozen ones heavens. from certain? Anyway, I <laughs> yeah. Marcus Jordan was on one of those fake Allegedly. Yards. Allegedly. Please don't sue us. And if you do, my name is Mike Guillory. These are my co-hosts, Robbie <laughs> Felici and Greg Atron. Sorry, Greg. <laughs> oh, no. man. Speak, I was going to say, here's my transition. Speaking of overwhelmingly sad moments during the two-hour break, that was Formula One, much like Up. Uh, Charles Leclerc, my God, man. It, yeah, that was sad. And... Not even the saddest of trombones could have made me smile a little bit. That was just depressing. That was like reading where the red fern grows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because everything looked like it was going right for him. Like, I mean, everything. Like, things you wouldn't expect. Like the DRS with Max. The, You know, just like, okay, well, I forget who pitted first. And like, yeah, I, I would have bet everything on him at like lap 15 you know and then it was like you could just see he was crushed too speaking of betting shout out to champagne poppy aka drake losing three hundred thousand canadian on his bet on charles leclerc winning the race so i will do this i was in vegas this last week for a work conference so because i have a gambling problem only in vegas and now because formula one is the sport du jour i went to caesars and i just kind of wanted to see what are the betting lines what could we bet on and i thought it was really interesting because the only two things we could bet on was who is the overall driver champion and who is going to win the upcoming race so i put a tenor on carlos signs at i think plus 1200 to win and I had Charles Leclerc at plus 125 to win the Drivers' Championship. And I think I lost both. I mean, obviously, I lost the Carlos Sainz bet. But I think I may have also lost the Charles Leclerc bet. Because I think the sadness that overcame him wasn't the fact that he lost Spain. I think that's the title. Like, there is no way that I see anybody stopping Max at this point. Unless Sergio develops a pair and then just says, I'm going to destroy you. That would be amazing. 
We'll have to talk about that in a second as well. Because, man, did that oh, really get me right in the gonads. Um, but, the, man, Charles Leclerc, he had essentially the perfect weekend. Even who like with Carlos Sainz, who I think was a step above his normal self this weekend. I think he had the home energy crowd thing going on. He was driving really well. Um, he still couldn't put it past Leclerc on pole. Um, and that, you know, the end of qualifying was kind of a weird one. We saw what was Max end up in P4? P4, I thought, because I think no. Sergio, did he get second? I thought he, he got might, second. Yeah, he, I think he ended up on second. He just didn't improve on his second lap. Never mind. Yeah. But he couldn't, even Carlos at his best, which I think he was near his best this weekend, couldn't put it past Leclerc. Leclerc was having a golden weekend. He was out in front by... A mar- a pretty large margin when... I think at one point he was up to 30 seconds and they were just joking about when does he want to take his pit stop because he was so far ahead of everybody, it wouldn't have mattered. And I think yep. to your point, that's easy street. And that's what makes everything all the more crueler, if you will. Because it literally just looked like he he saw it before everybody and you can see the internalization of it like, oh no, oh no, guys, guys, no, what what's happening? No, not again. He was so calm about it, right? Yeah. I mean, I it think was, that's... Yeah. You, like, you expect him to be threatening to murder people's family at that point. Like, right? yeah. you're that far in front of, of in front of a race, and you're right, bro. He, he was, like, 30 seconds ahead. So he had a whole full pit stop in hand, and he would have pitted and came out in first. No worries there, right? Um, And the weird thing was, again, going back to the broadcast, normally when things happen, Crofty, like, loses his mind... He's like, oh no, whatever. I can't do British. He's in the gravel. And he's something, yeah, right. He's he gets like super hyped, and he was just like, wait, wait, is Charles Leclerc slowing down? And they like they they were so calm about it. It was like, wait, what's happening? And then sure enough, just pop. It was just donezo. I mean, it kind of felt like because he didn't like react in some crazy type of way, I thought maybe there was like some, you know, virtual safety car or something that we weren't seeing. I, I, that's what, that was my assumption for the first like couple seconds when I saw him slowing down. And then like, when, you know, it was like, Oh shit, this is, this is not, this is not good. But no, my, my immediate thought was what did Latifi do now? Sorry. Sorry, Drake. No, but it's. I think he it had also one was, of his best races of the year. To be honest. He did. He got me all of five <laughs> points. So thank you, Nicholas. You truly are the gift that keeps on giving. No, I will say this to the point that I believe Nick made earlier. It's just the demeanor of the driver sometimes dictates how we editorialize and cover whatever misfortune or advantage they gain in the race. So if Max is the one that is the recipient of an inconsistent power unit and he sets a new record for most expletives thrown in a minute. Yeah, I think the Crofties and Brundles of the world are going to paint a little bit more color. But because of the fact that Leclerc just truly seems to be a genuinely quiet, nice guy, I think that's where it goes back to the fact that he seems very likable. It could be completely wrong. And we've also all kind of been conditioned to think that all these drivers have a hint of arrogance to them that makes them unappealing. But no, I think much like every other human being on this planet, there's a subtle nuance associated with it. And like Shrek, they all have layers to them. Well said. So let's talk about this Red Bull 
First, let's lead into t- to this Red Bull conversation, talking about both Red Bull cars spinning out, right? Wait, did, did Sergio spin? I didn't think Perez did. I thought it was just Max. Oh, I, oh no, no, no. You're right. It was uh, Signs, Signs, and and Max, same corner, like what, two laps apart? Yeah. No, it was like the NBA when there's a spot that the towel people forget to wipe down, and it was like whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> That was like, yes. I, we've talked about this before on the pod, but I, I don't like races that are good, quote, I'm using air quotes, by because of crashes or DNFs or whatever. But like, that, it was amazing because it just added to what was already being a good race, right? It was like kind of a little lull in the action and then just snap. Wait, signs is off? Oh my God, like... And then, like two laps later, Max, same thing. Or I don't know who was who's was. No, first, Max but. had two wobbles because he had the science spill, and then he also had one where I think he took a little bit too much of the curb. But then, because he is the champion race car driver of the world, he was able to catch it mid, I guess, stream. So then he righted the ship. But the, he kind of dodged a couple bullets today, Mister Verstappen did. Yeah, that's that just shows you how damn fast the Red Bull is, because he spun and still won the race. I know, like yeah. it, it may it may have not happened with uh, if if Charles didn't blow up, but God, that that's just it, it was amazing. Like I don't even know how I it's, I almost don't have words for it because it was so unexpected. It was kind of like settling down into what we think of as a Spain race, and then all of a sudden, boom, two spins back to back. Yeah, and and it's interesting because like Red Bull. Ferrari, Mercedes, I think the three of them are leaps and bounds ahead of the rest of the field. Like, you know, and and Mercedes this this race being the first time that they're really like unquestionably competitive, right? Cuz yeah, they had problems, but you know, I think that the interesting thing with with Red Bull is that you almost expect, like, you almost already know how good they are and how far in front they can be. So for them to, for them to have like a mishap, like going off course, like, you know, losing it a little bit, going into the gravel, like the DRS not working and still winning. It's like, you know, where do you go from here? Right. They're going to be dominant the rest of the year for the most part, unless, unless there's mechanical failures the car it, it's it's like if you're not first or last kind of situation for them going going ahead right like they're either going to be dnfing from like some other thing or they're going to be at the top like you know i forget what the stat was but it was like max sergio and and lewis share the most podiums like 16 or something 15 or 16 or something like that and they were saying like if they were to finish all three of them at the top uh, or not? Is it Max? No, no, no. Bo- sorry, Botas. Botas. I think yeah. Botas. Terry Botas. <laughs> yeah, would be like this. Would be a record if they all finished at the top again. But um, so with Red Bull, I, I just think there's just no, like I just don't see them losing any of the pace. Right? They've already got the car to a point where everyone else has to play catch up for the rest of the season, regardless. Ferrari is up there 
but they've just been inconsistent as drivers, in my opinion. Aside from this, obviously, you know, failure that happened today with Leclerc's car, but let's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I just, I don't want it to become, and I know Aaron's going to listen to this and he's going to be calling me out for it, but I don't want it to become boring the way that a lot of people thought it was boring when Lewis and, and Botas were, you know, always one, two, or three, because that's what it feels like we're headed towards right now with, with Red Bull. Like, there's almost no competition unless they have a failure. Like, Max has literally won every race he's finished this year. Yep. No, absolutely. I mean, I'm still looking at our exhaust notes, pod draft, Google sheet, and it is something to be seen that if you look at Max, and I think, Nick, you have Max in that draft, it's 0, 20, 0, 20, 20, 20. And 20 is the points that we give the first place driver, and 0 is always the last place driver, or if it's a DNF, and yeah, it truly is all or nothing for Max at this point, and I don't see him stopping unless he gets in his own way. But And maybe this is kind of the noob question of the week. Is there some sort of equivalent to a technical foul where driver conduct can be used against them if they truly are very aggressive or use hostile language? Or is there no thing like that in Formula 1? No. I think the worst, like, if, like, say, let's say Verstappen actually threatened to murder somebody's family. Um I think the worst that would happen is like a fine from the team. And if it wasn't the team, maybe the FIA. We did see like this weekend, these new race directors are doing an absolute no bullshit like way of of moderating these races. We saw, I think it was Yuki and Lando get their laps deleted in, in qualifying at turn 12, which if you are unfamiliar is... Almost exactly as wide as the car, including the width of the the white line, which is the, you know, quote-unquote track limit. They were, like, millimeters over, I guess. I never saw a good camera angle of it. But millimeters over the white line, which, if they go any farther, they're in the gravel. And they both got their laps to lead in qualifying. And there's no way that would have happened under... The artist formerly known as Michael Massey? Yes, no, but I, mean, um, I also thought, didn't Lewis get some sort of warning because he had uh, exceeded track limits three times during the race as well? So it's, I feel like it's the same genre of complaint that, to your point, Todd, we may have people with a backbone, so to speak, or at least have a general understanding of what the rules are from an FIA perspective. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Can we do a little bit of tinfoil hat time? Yes. Because there's two things I want to talk about. One... We saw two Ferrari engines pop today. Guan Yu Zhou in the Sauber is, or sorry, Alfa Romeo, uh, is a Ferrari-powered car and Charles's car. So, so are we getting now what Red Bull had at the beginning of the season, and are we going to see a dramatic bounce back? Because by Ferrari's own admission, they haven't really spent much on development. I think they brought a couple to this race, but they're the, the pre-re... Like pre, race week buildup was Bonato talking to the press that they were bringing some report to the FIA showing how much everyone else has spent, which is really interesting. How do you have that information? Um, I mean, they're, the like speed code. they're the league's hall pass monitor. It's okay. They really are. Like they, they literally got caught cheating the fuel pump thing in 20, what was it? 19. And the FIA was just like, you know what? 
you're good. Just like suck for a couple seasons and we'll brush it <laughs> under the rug, which they did, you know, good, good for them. But so maybe we're seeing that. So that's kind of a conspiracy thing, like a couple of blow ups, keep it interesting. And then I mean, the next, the next thing, sorry, this is back to the Red Bull. I have, I don't know why I think this, but we, we haven't gotten to the like Checo Max flip flop yet. So I have to talk about this because that was like a gut punch to me. Checo had a great race. His pace was there. And I swear to God that Christian Horner was in his race engineer's ear saying, hey, bud, you got to tell him to manage his tires so we can yep. get Max to catch back up. You got to tell him to manage, tell him to manage, tell him to manage. Because he was like seven seconds ahead of Max at one at the at one point. And he had four lap older tires than Max. They were both on the mediums at that point, I right. think. And in four laps, Max was on his bumper. And they were saying, like, hey, if Max catches back up, then you got to let him pass. And that's when Checo was like, this is so not right or whatever. And he was pissed after the race. He's like, happy for the team, but we got to talk about this. Yeah. And rightfully so. If that is a complete conspiracy, what the hell, Checo? Where was your pace? Like, Max deserved that win if he truly, in that time frame. Yeah, on basically the same age tires, he caught up seven seconds in four laps. He absolutely earned it. But I have a feeling there was some foul play there. No, there was, to borrow the racing term, a chicanery on the track as well as on the track, if you will. (laughs) And I will say this about Checo. What do we know about Checo more than anything? He was the man that Martin Brundle said had the most delicate right foot we've ever seen. If you tell Checo Perez to manage manage his tires, that's like telling Steph Curry, hey, shoot more threes. Like that is the one thing he does better than anybody on this earth. And I will go that, I will say that's my grave. So yeah, I think there's a lot of stuff that's going on. And the conspiracy theorist in me is wondering like, is this kind of the initial, hey, we're going to try to make Checo mad because we kind of want to see Gasly in that spot again? Because that's the only way I could justify it. But then again, why would Gasly want to go back to Red Bull? So it's one of those things where depending on how strong the tinfoil on your head is, we can go a number of different ways. Yeah, and, and Gasly really hasn't been performing up to deserving that second seat at Red Bull. But So if, if you're new to Formula One, team orders are somewhat not allowed but always happening sometimes they're obvious sometimes they're like today kind of questionable when like a a, a race a driver is you know on pace to win like Checo was today you know it it makes sense numerically for Max to win because he has the best shot right now at winning the championship so there is logic behind the team saying, hey, we need Max to win. But that goes back to our conversation, you know, as a team principal, as a team owner, as a driver, what's the priority? A driver championship or a team championship? Because, you know, there if it's team championship, team. check, you know, Sergio Perez deserves to win today if if it's if it's just about the team, right? But with Max being kind of the, you know, the prodigal son in most of the narrative for F1 right now. It's understandable that they, that they, you know, had him switch and, you know, to Todd's point, I, I, I mean, I think, yeah, a hundred percent, like there was no question that, that Red Bull wanted Max to win the race. It's disappointing because one, this was absolutely 
Checo's best shot to win. And this is absolutely, you know, I think going to happen at some point. He's a great driver. It's just like Botas with Mercedes for the last five years or whatever, right? Even though you don't want him to win necessarily because you want Lewis to be your your guy and your team leader and your your number one driver, like you give you give two guys that have very similar skill sets and abilities an incredible car, you can't expect them to not want to compete with each other. Yeah, I mean that's it, it was just really disheartening to see this early. Like if we're just past the summer break and Max is out in front by 100 points, cool, do it, whatever. But, like, mathematically, everybody's technically still in the championship. So, and Max isn't going to suffer that much by getting a P2. Um, I, I just, I mean, if I'm Checo in that stage, like, he's going to have to overtake me. If they're telling me to manage and they tell me, oh, if Max catches up again, if this is a real thing, I don't know, just my brain going off. If they're telling me to manage and then they say if Max catches up again, you got to let him pass. It's it. I'm game over. Balls to the walls till the end of the race. But you got to catch me. Absolutely. But I think also to your point, Nick, we could see Red Bull win the title because of how dominant Max is. And I think last year it seemed to be a bit of an aberration where we saw the constructors and the drivers being split. Where one uh, one team won one award while the other team won the other. And usually that doesn't happen, correct? Well, we haven't in recent memory, right? It's always been it's been Mercedes, Mercedes, with the Mercedes, drivers. Mercedes, Mercedes, and then last and year then, was Mercedes Red Bull. Yeah, yep, yeah, and that seems to be more the niche than the norm. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I think it's important to to like Checo is third in the driver standings, right? He's only like uh, he. Uh, He's what, maybe 15 points behind, maybe 20 points behind. Like, a, he's currently 25. Yeah, like a, a solid race or two, you know, and a DNF, and he is right there, you know, at the top with Max. So it's really, to Todd's point, I think just absolutely way too early for that shit to be happening. Even, even I think Aaron said in the Discord, it's so disappointing to see that as a fan. You just want to see the guys race. You like team orders. It's like just just let them race, man. Like when it comes down to it, you just want to let them race. But if it gets to the point where they're they're pushing each other and Max is you know unable to pass or something like that, and you absolutely want him to win, then you know go for it. But like it also happened kind of early on, right? For for what I thought, I th- I think it happened like you know twenty laps to go or something, and to me. Yeah, there's a lot of things that could happen in that in that time. You know, t- to Todd's point earlier, you would expect a safety car almost, but it was just really disheartening. And I think that, you know, look, this is also why these drivers, as in, as as great as the teams can be, as great as the drivers can be, this is why like a driver, it's never certain that you're favorite driver is going to be with your favorite team or stick with the team he's on because at the end of the day if Checo thinks he's capable of putting another car on the podium outside of the Red Bull car there's no reason for him to stay with Red Bull 
you know, beyond his whatever his contract is right now, right? This is this is Botas going to Alfa Romeo, and and honestly, like you know, I think he had a finished sixth today, but you know, he he's done he's done a hell of a job in that car. That car is definitely not on par with the rest of the cars at the top, but I feel like Botas has been like in the top five or seven throughout most of this season, so. Yeah. Check yeah, go ahead, Todd. Oh, no, I was going to change gears to, to Alpha Romeo, but you, you finished on... Two no, hours. I'll give you the segue that you need. Uh, I think last time I was on, I said Pierre Gasly should go to Alpha Romeo because I'm really tempted to see what that car does with two competent drivers. All due respect to my favorite driver on the grid, whose name I always butcher, so I won't even say it. But yeah, I now recant that statement because I think a driver lineup of Botas and Perez would be very interesting. But that's, again, me fantasy booking. But talk to me about Alfa Romeo, Todd. So I had really high hopes coming into this weekend. They were one of the teams that brought 10 listed upgrades, which I think there was two teams that brought 10, one team that brought eight. Um. But yeah, we can rapid fire these real quick. Uh, they had, you know, a really strong showing this weekend. Val- Valtteri, good old Terry, um, as Nick mentioned, was like kind of out driving the car in some in some way. Um, and Guan Yu Zhou looked decent. He still doesn't have his head around that. I think driving in Formula One in general, but that car especially. But you bring all these upgrades. Obviously, they worked because they still had the pace to keep up with everyone else and you absolutely botch the strategy they went uh let's see Valtteri Bottas did a two-stop race when everyone else did three and that's why he dropped that place right at the end it could have been a, a p4 or even a p3 with the way he was driving today um man did they just shit the bed there and then the other one I wanted to touch on real quick. Another team that brought 10 updates this weekend was uh, uh, Aston Martin. What the hell is going on? That's just a sinking ship on fire. They both were all over the place. And I think they, again, bottled the strategy. They did a two-stop with Vettel. Um, but they just can't... Anytime they do something right, because the upgrade's helped apparently um and then they just like you know they're like ah the you know the car's not working i guess we'll just um copy paste the red bull car um (laughs) which we haven't touched on yet but apparently they had they proved it somehow that they'd been working on that car design since november or something um which i don't know maybe Daddy Stroll cut a check to the FIA and it's like, oh yeah, we built this car a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, they just can't. Even if they have, they have a four-time world champion in the car who still obviously has the talent, and they can't do anything right. Now, what I will say about both those teams because I find them interesting. So, for in spite of all of the dumbassness of Alfa Romeo, they're still a top five team. And then not only that. Between the capitulation that Botas had last race where he let both Mercedes drivers pass him because I think that's more muscle memory and out of habit than anything else, he could easily be a top five driver. The other thing I will say, because I loved your conspiracy theorist segment and now I want one for myself, 
I guarantee you, and this is my other fantasy booking of the week, they're going to make Seb Vettel the fall guy in all this. And I think that's where Danny Rick might end up if this McLaren thing also doesn't shake the way that we think it will. That would be interesting. That would be very interesting. I mean, so Aston Martin absolutely tanked in qualifying, but they actually, Vettel finished 11th, which, you know, considering all of the just crap that went on and all of the energy around the upgrades and all of the press and people calling them out and all that, I'm honestly surprised that he made it that far up the grid from whatever, like 15th or 16th, where, you know, I think both of them were towards the bottom, but yeah. I would be okay with Danny Rick, who's in no man's land right now. Get your shit together, Danny Rick. Um, you got outdriven by your teammate by a large margin, and it was made known after the race. He raced while he had tonsillitis. He felt absolutely horrible. I don't know if you guys saw on the driver parade or on the track, Lando literally just sat down and covered himself with an umbrella. Like, he was feeling very bad. And he still outraced Honey Badger by... I just leaves and bounds. Anyway, I would be okay with Danny Rick ending up on Aston if Aston gets sold to Andretti and they become Andretti Autosport. So he's kind of like an American anyway. And then we have Colton Herter and Danny Rick in a green car. (laughs) Boom. I'm all for it. And I was going to ask you what was larger, the size of Lando Norris's tonsils or the gap between Lando and Danny Rick. So thank you for (laughs) kind of beating me to the punch. That's not funny. (laughs) Oh, my God. Danny, get your shit together. I mean, there's something to be said about the confidence for these drivers, right? If you're new to the sport especially, you don't really understand, like, these guys have to feel like they are the best driver in the world to be competitive with the best drivers in the world. And we see that on a regular basis. Or this season, unfortunately, for McLaren fans, we've seen that with Danny Rick. We've seen, I mean, even today with with Carlos Sainz, right? Like, you know, spinning is often one of those things. Like, making mistakes as a driver happens because you are not at 100% confidence wise in order to be performing the way max does max has to get up in the morning and you know think that i piss excellence i'm gonna beat everyone on the grid no matter what happens and if anything happens i'm coming for your children kind of attitude like that is what success in formula one has become in a lot of ways and i think that's like the interesting part because not only do you have to have the, the the team behind you, right? Like, if you wake up and think you're the best driver in the world, it doesn't mean shit if you're, you know, stuck in a, you know, a, a terrible car, right? Like, you could be the best driver in the world, and if you're driving, you know, I don't want to call out any names from this season, but, like, you have to have the best car on the grid to be competitive regardless, right? Like, it's, it's so the difference is so small between all these teams that any little slip in your self-confidence sends you tumbling down the grid and, you know, all the other things that come along with it. But then that spirals out of control. 
which is also why you see drivers leave the sport in a much shorter time than a lot of other, uh, I think, professional sports. What have you done for me lately? Like it's it's a lot of that. Yeah. I mean it's it's more so the teams towards the driver, but it is the driver to themselves. You're you're totally right, Nick. Like they, I think unfortunately Max is too stupid to not believe. Like if he was in the Williams, he would still have that. I'm gonna beat everyone, even though like Albon and Latifi know like, oh we're gonna be trundling around the back. Um, but yeah, I think. The confidence is everything. I feel like Carlos just got his groove back. Stella Carlos, uh, this this uh, this week, and still didn't perform. So like, you have to have the right car at the right moment with the right team behind you and the right mindset. Yes, but again, <laughs> he, he spun right. So to to finish fourth with a spin that was much worse than Max's off, right? I mean, it's impressive, but that's the difference between Max and Carlos, the the confidence, right? Like the, you had almost the same experience, even like on track and the mistake, the car, like the Ferrari pit pits have been incredibly quick. Red Bull has been perfect throughout the season for the most part. It's just one of those things. It's really, really interesting, but yeah. No, I was just going to say this, Todd. I think you had mentioned that you thought Carlos had a good drive. I thought the opposite. Like, I thought he stalled right at the beginning of the race, and that's why he plummeted. This seems to be, like, the second race where he didn't have the best of starts. And to your point as well, Nick, he spun on the gravel. But now I'm trying to understand because this is the age-old question in Formula 1, much like we have what comes first, the chicken or the egg. In this case, are we wondering what led Carlos to probably the most underwhelming fourth place finish we've seen all year was it the fact that he's that great of a driver or is it the fact that that ferrari car is truly 1b when it comes to being the second best car on the grid yeah that's a great point time will tell he needs to he needs to have a good weekend watch he'll he'll win in monaco just because it's supposed to be charles's race and that's that's, and that's one of those uh, starts of the summer when Charles Leclerc bottles it at Monaco because he's always at like P1 in qualifying and then he's like, oh, squirrel, and then he runs into a wall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, sorry, sorry, Nikki Lauda. Rest in peace. Seriously. I mean, no. to be fair, before we get into – we got to wrap, I know, but before we get into that, I am one of those Formula One fans who always wants the home driver to win. Like, you know, I, I have my, my – favorite drivers my favorite teams but like when it comes down to it like i think last year checo potentially you know what he have holding off lewis in mexico right was like one of the most amazing things to see his dad the crowd everybody behind it like i i still always want to see that so uh, you know i'll be pulling for charles next next race i'd like a little redemption not slap the wall in qualifying I just want a wet race because I want chaos. I, I, I just want to watch the world burn. Uh, yeah, I want to see Latifi on pole in the wet. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, man. Uh, if that's the case, I'm going to start calling that dude Canada Dry then. <laughs> <laughs> okay. On that note, let's get into a little, little fantasy update. <clears throat> Leave us a review, people. 
please leave this leave the silly saying we want we want to hear it because otherwise we have to improvise and as you can see canada dry was very bottom of the barrel and it's only going to get worse so for i thought level, it was good thank you i, I appreciate good. that i do right. but write us review we'll start with the uh unmentionable leak um Let's see here. League standings in the Exhaust Notes Podcast League. I am now in first place. Oh, wait, no, sorry. That's last race points. I had the best week, apparently. Followed up by Jackal uh, with two points behind me. And then A.A. Ron with 812. So it was 956, 954, and 812. Let's, can I... Oh, I guess I am in first place in that league. That is awesome. Look at that. All right, Nicely moving done. on to the more. Uh, Nick, you're in sixth, and Row, you're in seventh. Yeah. All right. Um, the official uh, F1 Fantasy League, we have for the Spanish GP. Uh, we have Alpha Ash Ari, Nick's brother, topping the week with 200 points, followed up by uh, Mr. Fantasy himself, Travis Pete. Travis Pete, that was weird. Trav Pete. Yep. Just, I, just keep it going. I like it. Yeah. Um, that's what I'm going to call him. That's what his and, mom calls him. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and then in third, uh, Aaron with uh, All Has No Breaks with 151. And season totals, we still have up top Big Dog Nicholas C with for tapping that ass uh, on 1,260 points. Uh, in second place, Alpha Ash Ari uh, with 1,254 points. So it's real tight up top. And in third place, All Haas No Breaks with 1,227. Uh, I'm currently in fifth. Uh Ro, you are in sixth, and Nick, you are still in tenth. Hey, but you're not last. I'm not, not last. last. I'm technically in the points. You are in the points. <laughs> you are in the points. That's great. Silver linings. Okay, and the most important one. <clears throat> um, uh, weekly totals. I uh, will go lowest to highest here. Uh. In last place this week, Aaron with the lowest season total or the lowest weekly total so far this season, with thirty five. He had the, he had there was only two DNFs and he had both of them. Wow. Um, next up in P three we had Nick with forty seven points, uh, followed by myself in P two with forty eight points, and we had the lowest weekly total this week, and we also had the highest. Weekly total so far this season, Rohit had sixty three points. Nicely done. Nicely done. And we have a new leader in the clubhouse. So season totals, um, we have Nick in last place at two forty four, followed by Aaron uh, at two eighty seven, uh, then myself at two ninety eight, and. Jumping from P3 to P1, that last lap overtake, Rohit is at 308. It's all downhill from here. Impressive. Impressive. 
No, I, I would just like to thank uh, Seb for showing up this week. I think those 10 improvements truly allowed me to get all of the nine points you gave me. And young Canada Dry, once again, giving me four <laughs> crucial points. So I think that, you know what, we always kind of talk about what nicknames do you give your drivers that have caught on. So Terry Botas and Canada Dry. So if you are planning to write us a review, if you don't give us a silly phrase, give us a goofy nickname for one of the drivers on the grid, because I think we all need that moment of levity. Yes, please. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, I mean, quite a bit going on this week. I, I I don't want to say this is the best race of the year so far, but this is the best race of the year so far. 100%. Oh, yeah. I was having that debate with a friend earlier today, and my initial reaction was the first race of the season was better because we had that towards the end of the race battle with Max and, and Charles when they kept overtaking each other. And we want to see that, right? We want to see... Yeah. Overtakes for the lead of the race. That would be like the dream. But we had absolutely chaos everywhere. Carnage, Rohit's favorite word again. I'll try to work it in every episode. I appreciate um, that. We, we had Fernando Alonso pass somebody on turn 12, which I know nobody is a nerd like me and plays the Formula One video games, but that's like damn near impossible. It was amazing. Yeah. Like, around the outside. Yes. It's crazy. I will say this, and you guys, let me know if I'm being too hyperbolic, but I feel like this is, head to toe, the strongest driver grid I've seen in about five years, where I would not be surprised if, let's say, 15 of these drivers somehow ended up on a podium because they're that talented as a group. Bold, bold take there. Listen... I'm the king of the bold takes, much like you Daniel are. Ricardo. Yes, you are. I mean, I, I would, I would probably agree with that. It's, it's really close. This is a, definitely a good group that's out there right now. But no, that awkward silence tells me we need to just stop and just let us bask in that greatness that I just brought to the group. So that's why we have you here. Yep. All right. All right. Well, any any other last parting bold takes before we wrap up? I will say this. We hopefully we can do a Friday episode because I am working at an employer that gives us summer Fridays off. So if that is the case and we're able to, I would love to do a podium prediction show for Monaco because it might be the least dynamic in terms of overtakes we're going to see. But then again, I was also famously saying earlier this episode that Monaco's got a good one in it, but we'll see. I'm I'm hoping that qualifying doesn't decide that race. Wishful thinking. I, um, I, yeah, I lock it in for the Friday pod. I'm down. That's, we need that. You just reminded me that we didn't do podium predictions. So we'll save that for the Friday pod. All right, let's do it. Well, let's let everybody know where they can find you guys outside of the podcast. On uh, Instagram, I am T Yeezy. On Twitter, I am T Yeezy F1. Come follow me. I make dumb jokes quite often. Please follow me on Instagram at RoadM13. Follow me on Twitter at Roheezy. That's the rhyming portion that we all have come to love 
as this show ends. But Nick, how about yourself? Go follow me at Nick Ingvall on all the platforms. More importantly, follow Exhaust Notes FM on all the platforms. Thanks for tuning in, listening. We appreciate all of you. We'll catch you on the next one. Peace. Write us a review, you clowns. Go TV, P1, Monaco. <laughs> you heard it here first.